You're listening to America's Web Radio Online. Thanks for tuning in. And we do appreciate you tuning in to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. And this is, uh, it's always a great day, and it's a great day to announce that I want to, before we get started with the uh, Classic Car Show, just mention the fact that uh, how much we appreciate all the folks that have signed up to be patrons. And uh, they keep coming in, and if you have, if you don't know what I'm talking to, just go to our homepage, and uh, there's a button there that you can uh, click on, and it'll tell you all about being a patron and uh, how much we appreciate it. And as all of you can imagine, it ain't free to do this. And uh, we've got so many great hosts, and uh, like... Tom Cox, that's a host of the Classic Car Show, along with Richard Lintonello. And uh, both of them are online, so I'm going to turn the Classic Car Show over to Tom and Richard, and I'll be back with uh, when it's time to break at about 13 and a half after. So, with that being said, Tom and Richard, it's all yours. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Thank you, David. And uh, good morning there, Richard. The, uh, we're uh, coming to you from my studio here, high atop the Blue Ridge Mountains. And uh, Richard has decided to come south, and so he's uh, talking to us from uh, Tennessee. Yeah, beautiful eastern Tennessee where the air is nice and crisp this morning. Absolutely beautiful. I wonder if anybody has, has the... Uh how much trouble it has been to string the two tin cans between Atlanta and Tennessee and, and keep that keep that string taut. <laughs> A lot of string, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> the only bad thing, he used to use carrier pigeon when he lived in Brooklyn. Oh, we have uh, enough of those that yeah, bomb my car all the time. <laughs> so, Richard, what 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 are we going to talk about this morning? Something about well, tickets. you know, lot, uh, tickets or sitting on your stoop. But uh, let's talk about uh, you know how to sell your collector car and uh, give some people some tips on how to write the proper ad, or better yet, to write an ad that will sell the car quickly. But there's a lot of uh, things that people don't include in the ad that they should, and they include things that they shouldn't include. So let's talk about that. Yeah, well, few people would be more uh, well-educated on the art of a proper ad than than you after uh, 20-some years at what was the largest antique vehicle classified ad repository uh, for a very long time. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Words mean things and, uh, you know, you can sell yourself short or you can give too much information. There's a sweet spot in all of it. And, um, you know, that's true when it comes to, uh, how you present the car too. Pictures, photos, all those things. So, uh, I'm going to let you roll with this one. Can I interrupt for one second before we get too far into this? Sure. 
want to remind everybody that uh, one of our sponsors here is the Classic Auto Mall that you all are, I'm sure you're familiar with up in uh, Pennsylvania, in uh, Morgantown, Pennsylvania, and uh, they are one of our sponsors, and that's another way to sell your classic car. Put it in on consignment, and they take care of the pictures and all the rest. So it's really a choice of there are alternatives besides only selling the the car yourself, but I think it's going to be very interesting on what you all have to say about detailing and everything else on selling your classic car and where you go to do it and the copy and so forth. But I don't want to overlook our sponsor, Classic Auto Mall in uh, Pennsylvania. So, back to y'all. No, that that is a good point. And uh, usually if you don't have the time or the wherewithal to sell your collector car on your own, you could put it on consignment. And usually the dealers take, you know, 10% once the car sells. And that's usually a standard fee. And uh, then before you know it, you get a check in the mail. So it, it, it's an easy way of doing it. But if you want to sell the car yourself... Uh, you know, there, there are certain words you don't want to put in the ad. For instance, uh, you don't want to tell people, because ads are limited, you only have so much space, you know. Uh, you don't want to say uh, where the car was originally sold from. I mean, no one cares. That doesn't sell a car, you know. You also don't want to say things like uh, uh, that it was owned by your grandmother, you know, it doesn't matter. Those aren't pluses. <laughs> and when I worked at Hemings, we used to get these ads in. And it's like, this person really write that down? I mean, how is that going to sell a car? I mean, uh, you know, it's stored in my garage. Well, you know, again, that's not a feature about the car. You want to zero in. So what you really want to talk about, like, if your car has original paint, you gotta you gotta mention that because that tells a prospective buyer that the car's never been in an accident, it's been well cared for, well preserved, and that's a big plus. You don't have to waste, you know, words and waste waste money telling, you know, someone that the car is red or is black, but if it was a unique color, then you just wanna mention that it was, you know, a rare color combination. Uh if the car has a rebuilt engine, mention that. Uh if it, of course, if it has no rust or no corrosion, uh, that is a big plus. Those are the things that collectors look for. You know, you always want to mention the positives about the car itself. This way, when, when, when someone's thinking of buying it, they know that they're not getting, you know, a pile of junk. They're not getting something that was, uh, you know, refurbished at the last minute. And you never want to tell someone that the car was painted last week because that's a warning sign. That tells everyone, uh-oh. What are they covering up now, you know? So just always accentuate the positive. Uh, if the car has a, a five-speed as opposed to, you know, an automatic, mention that. Those are the little details. You don't have to tell people in the ad that it has new tires and new brakes, but, you know, you could do that once you talk to the person and they call you up. But if it has original paint or if the paint is, you know, 30 years old, the car's been always garaged, if, if you're the only the first owner or the second owner, those are all pluses that you want to uh, tell them, you know, place in the ad, because those are the things that's going to sell your car. 
No, de- definitely, you know, and, and options play a big role, particularly if, uh, you know, if, if it's a rare option, you know, it's like um, I bought a uh, 94 uh, Firebird WS6, but, you know, which is fairly pedestrian, but it was convertible with a six-speed manual, and six-speed manual was a pretty rare option that year. So, uh, and that's what sold sold me on the car was the fact that it had the six-speed manual transmission. Um, you know what? What about if what what about if it's a Cadillac and it was owned by Elvis? Well, if it was owned by you know somebody like Elvis, a real prominent figure. That you want to mention, but you have to have documentation to back it up. You know, if you don't have the documentation, then you're just wasting your time. Uh, it was owned by some B actor, you know, 30 years ago. It's like, you know, most people today won't even know who that B actor is. That's irrelevant, you know. But if it was a very popular person, you got documentation, oh, without a doubt, that could increase the value of the car. Yeah, for, for sure. You know, particularly uh, cars that were, you know, one-offs or uh, cars that were driven by uh, even automotive executives. You know, uh, if you had anything that was personally owned by Harley Earl, I'd say that would just be a pretty big deal. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, and you're right about the options. If it was, you know, if you're going to buy a Mopar muscle car and it's got a six-pack carburation setup or a GTO with tri-power, those are the things you want to mention. Like you said, you know, it's got AC, it's got a record player, Autotronic Eye, you know, those are the things you definitely want to mention in the ad because that will sell the car. Well, you know, the other thing is, is you know, if you have a, a photo ad, you know, photograph that goes with the ad, I know that, you know, online, of course, these days, you know, people are using all manner of ways to, you know, to sell cars. And as David points out, some, if you want it to be clean and easy, you can go with like, you know, classic auto mall, somebody like that. Um, but in terms of, you know, online, I mean, sometimes they've taken hundreds of pictures, <laughs> you know, runs the gamut, you know, bring a trailer. I've seen cars for sale and bring a trailer with just like picture after picture after picture after picture. But if those pictures aren't taken properly or if the lighting is bad or if they're fuzzy i mean i don't know how many times i've looked at an online ad at a car and you can't really tell any detail whatsoever because it's just fuzzy um i'll never forget um i participate in uh the national awards judging team for aaca and every year we go through and we review these cars and give awards and uh there was a nominee for the Foo Dog Trophy in AACA, which uh, is, goes to a Rolls Royce, and so the guy had this beautiful uh, Rolls that was going to be considered for this really prestigious award. But he took the photograph; it was right next to a dumpster in the snow. <laughs> it looked absolutely <laughs> god awful, and you know, you, you think about yeah. that, and you're like, gosh, you know. What were they thinking, you know, when they took that picture? So, I mean, it makes a big difference. Presentation is everything. Um, you know, you don't want to take pictures of cars and, you know, of a car and have it in the ad with a flat tire 
or with you know dirt on it. I, I looked at one the, the other last week. I was looking at one. It had bird droppings all over it. You know, that's just not the way to sell a car. Or sometimes it has your shadow right across the hood. You know. Uh, yeah, yeah, just take the time and put it in a nice setting. Make sure the lighting is nice and it doesn't put shadows and sun all over the car. Then, you know, the person viewing those photos is not going to see the details that they need to see and then they may not call you. So, yeah, good photography is very important. And, and it's easy to do, you know. Uh, just take your time. Make sure the background is clean and... Uh, if it's missing a hubcap, you know, put it on. You know, it's all those little details. Make sure the interior is vacuumed. The the glass is clean. So, uh, you know, art is in the details, and so is uh, when you sell a car. Well, and then you know, the the classified is only part of the part of the process. You know, the photograph, the writing, the description, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, you know. What what should you do when you you know to the car when you get the person on the line and they're going to come look at the car, or they're going to send an appraiser or someone else to look at the car? You know, detailing is relatively speaking, having a car even if you have it professionally detailed, it's it pays huge dividends. And it's relatively inexpensive. I mean, you can get a car nicely detailed by a professional detailer for several hundred dollars. But Time yet it could bring thousands of dollars to you with the sale price. Gentlemen, it's sure. uh, you got to spend money to make money. It's time to take a break, and uh, I've asked uh, Tom and Richard to uh, give a little ad on J.C. Taylor Insurance, since both of them have it, and then we'll... Uh, go to another ad, but uh, gentlemen, what do you think of J.C. Taylor? And by the way, when we come back, I've got a question for you, uh, Richard and Tom, regarding the tips on selling cars. So let's uh, let's hear what you all think about J.C. Taylor. I know uh, I've had J.C. Taylor for several years, and uh, it was always it is always easy dealing with them, calling them up. You could go through their website. And, uh, you know, if you have three or four cars on their plan, as soon as you sell one, you let them know. And within two weeks, boom, you get a, a refund in the mail. And uh, they're always there for you. And uh, I, I was always in a good position where I didn't have to call them up, you know, because of an accident or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, they've been around a really long time. They've been supporters and advertisers in the collector car industry for decades. So, uh I like to support the people who support us. Absolutely, and they've been with yeah. us since uh, we started. Yeah. I've had J.C. Taylor now, uh, I, I shudder to say, but uh, 35 years I've had J.C. Taylor, and uh, I've never used anyone else. Um, they've always treated me well. The premiums are extremely competitive. Um, extremely competitive. Uh, the staff is great to deal with. They're easy to work with. And as, as Richard points out, you know, they've supported a lot of publications throughout the years with their advertising, but that's not all. They've supported a ton of car clubs out there uh, through advertising and uh, donations of promo materials and things of that nature. They've just been 
full-on supporters of the antique vehicle hobby, and, uh, you know, I wouldn't even contemplate going to anyone else. With that being said, we're going to go to one more ad, and we'll be back with Tom and Richard and my question right after this. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio, or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall, and we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back on the Classic Car Show with Tom and Richard. And uh, I guess I'm asking this question of both of you. And that is, in writing the copy, Richard, and, and thinking about selling something you've been in love with for X number of years, how much does emotion play? And is that a reason to... Um, want to sell it yourself because you want to make sure that your baby's going to a good home or uh, how how much does emotion play in it well you know emotions play a big role uh i recently sold a car that was all original and uh some guy wanted to restore it and repaint it and i wouldn't sell it to him and you know he gave me a ridiculous price uh i would rather it go to a home where someone's going to continue preserving it the way it's always been preserved so you're right uh, emotions do play a big role uh you don't want to mention that in an ad however if you if the car has been in your family for it's you know for decades and decades and you've owned it for a long time it, it's definitely a positive to mention that in an ad saying stuff like family owned for 35 years so someone knows that you know you people love that car and it's been taken care of well so uh, that's a good point. Um, I, I think we're all emotionally connected to to our cars, especially the ones that we've had for any number of years. Um, more recently, um, I'm in the process of uh, acquiring a 1934, 1939 Ford Standard Coupe, and uh, it's been owned by the same same guy, a good friend of mine, since the '60s. Right? It was his car that he took as a freshman to college. Ninety percent all original, you know, and he wanted it to go to a good home. And so, the plan has been for a number of years that when he finally got to the point where he was going to sell the car, needed you know, wanted to move it out, he wanted me to buy it, and. Uh, I was more than willing to buy it. It's a great, great car, but uh, you know, he did not want it to go somewhere where it would be restored or rotted. You know, either one. So, I mean, a lot of people want to preserve their cars. Of course, you can't always do that, you know, indefinitely. But you, you know, it certainly helps. And that's uh, we'll talk about it later. But that's a, that's one of the things that uh, being a member of a car club will do for you too sort of allow you to uh, pick and choose where your car goes potentially yeah especially that you don't want it to go to you know if, if it's a well-preserved original and the car is fairly rare you don't want it to go to some guy who's going to you know pull the flathead out and drop in a small block chevy and hot rod it so you know uh you got to be careful 
I've got, you know, you're right about that, Rich. You know, I've got two examples. Um, a number of years ago, I found a 1955 Willys Bermuda two-door hardtop uh, with the uh, flathead six automatic. Um, it was the top of the line for 1955 Willys, which they only made a handful, less than 2,000 of those cars. And uh, the guy was going to drop an LS1 in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, I appealed to his emotional side and just told him, I said, you know, this is a really rare car. It really should be preserved. I don't have anything against anybody building a good modified car. I said, but, you know, this car deserves to be preserved. And ultimately, he decided to go ahead and sell me the car. I bought it before he'd done anything to it, and uh, then I didn't get to it. Someone else wanted it really, really badly, I had it, and they were going to restore it right on, and I was like, you know, if you're going to go ahead and restore it, I sold it to it to them for what I had in it, actually, and uh, it went on to become an AACA Grand National winner. So, I mean, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, you want to protect something, uh, I have a 31 gram uh, eight cylinder uh, rumble seat coupe dual side mount, which is probably one of five. And uh, the guy was had already pulled the engine out and was getting ready to do, uh, drop a crate motor in it. And I overpaid for that one uh, just because I wanted to save it. But yeah, you can get tied into these cars. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, we don't have anything against hot rodders because hot rodders have saved a lot of cars that purists never would have uh, restored otherwise. Cars that were really rusty and, uh, you know, in pieces and things like that. And uh, so so there is a positive side to hot rodding. It's just, you know, not well, everybody agrees with it when it's done to certain cars. True. Um, uh, hey, uh, a lot of I've come a, I've come into possession of a lot of rare parts uh, through cars that have been modified and cars that would have been a very 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 challenging restoration. Um, Nineteen thirty nine Hup uh, Model E. Um, I got a brand new radiator um, and a whole bunch of other parts. Um, the car was just in shambles. It was. I, I, I wouldn't have attempted a restoration on it, but I got all these great parts. So there is a, there is a silver cloud, silver lining. Yes, always is. No matter what kind of car it is, there's always a positive side to it. Yeah. So, so how many tickets have you had over the years, Richard? Well, believe it or not, only two. Uh, I got my really? first speeding ticket when I was, when the, the week after I got my license, I was driving my parents' Buick Deuce and a Quarter with a 455. Now, going a little too fast down the avenue in Brooklyn. But since then, it was another 50 years before I got a speeding ticket, which I never should have got because the judge and the cop, they were just totally wrong. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I've been pulled over 20 times. Since then, and I always got out of getting a ticket. And like writing an ad to sell a car, there's things that you should say to a cop, and there are things that you should not say to a cop. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you're, you're, I, you're right about that. Yeah, you know, what I've found through the years is 
When a cop pulls you over, remember, he's doing his day in and day out. He's heard every single excuse in the book. So don't lie to the guy. You know, tell the truth. Tell it like it is. I'll give you an example. One night when I lived out in western Jersey, I, I saw the Rangers at uh, Madison Square Garden. So the game ended about 10, 30, 11. By the time, you know, we went out to eat and by the time I hit the subway to take me back to Jersey, blah, blah, blah. Before you know it, I'm in my neighborhood. It was like 2 in the morning. And I was doing 50, 55 in a 25-mile-hour zone. All of a sudden, the red lights come on. Hop pulls me over. He goes, uh, you know how fast you were going? I said, yeah, I was going over 50. And he goes, you know what the speed limit is? I said, yeah, it's 25. He goes, why were you going double the speed limit? I said, come on, officer. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I didn't think you guys would be out. <laughs> and he, he looked at me. He smiled. He handed me back my license, and he goes, get out of here. Don't do that again. <laughs> you got to be honest, you know, if you want to get out of a ticket. No, I, I, I think you're right about that. Um, you know, a lot of knee-jerk reactions when people see cops, too. You know, particularly, you know, if you're speeding, you, re- you know you're speeding, you're going to go through, a, go through radar. You know, your first inclination is to hammer the brake. And, you know, when you hammer the brake, your brake lights come on. And I, I have several cops who are friends, and they'll tell you. They're much more inclined to let you go if you don't hammer on the brake as soon as you see them because that's an admission of guilt. It's like, well, you know, why would you have slammed on the brake just because you saw me if you didn't know you were speeding, you know? So they're, like, uh, ready, to, ready, to, ready to write, write you up. Yeah, yeah, you use the handbrake. Hand 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 believe it or not, I have, <laughs> I have done that. I have actually done that, knowing okay. that. And, and having had them tell me this, I, I have definitely, like, the, the 280Z, I've reached down on the, the handbrake to the right-hand side and just eased up on it a little bit. Yep. Yeah, stay, stay off that brake pedal, because when the lights come on, they know you know <laughs> that you're speeding. Right. Um, and, and another thing is, always put the cop at ease, because put yourself in his position, especially for that night. He's walking up to a car. And he can't see your hands, and he can't see what you have, and maybe you have a gun. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a scary situation for a cop. So when you see a cop approach you, put down your window and put both hands on top of the steering wheel. So you put the cop at ease, and he sees that, okay, this is, you know, a good citizen, something happened here, but he knows he's not going to get blown away or something like that. So uh, you got to, you know, show some respect for the cop and try to make his job easier this way he'll go easier on you so oh yeah you know being respectful of the job that they have to do is a big deal because you know unfortunately you know they don't always get that respect um you know relatively speaking they're very 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 few bad cops you know it's it's not like everything on tv you know it's yeah, I don't recommend that you flirt or try to bribe the cops either because they're not all not all corrupt like they are on TV. You know, it's not Serpico. You know, you're you're out there. They're doing their job, as Richard says. Um, you know, you definitely want to 
flash them a, a nice smile and be pleasant instead of handing them a crisp 50. So, exactly. Never um, do that. It's got to be at least 100. <laughs> yeah. At least 100. <laughs> I tell you, we're going to let people think about that and think away, uh, think about how they can, uh, you know, you can avoid tickets too. Just do what the sign says. And uh, I got caught on one not too long ago, a photo ticket, and uh, that really upset me. But you know, what do you do? I didn't face a cop. I just paid the paid the ticket and went on. Anyway, we're going to take another break and want to thank. Uh, uh, shout out to uh, J.C. Taylor, and it's a it's a great insurance company. And if you're looking for a great insurance company, be sure and contact J.C. Taylor. Tell them you heard about them on America's Web Radio. If you haven't seen their ads, like uh, Tom said, they're everywhere, and uh, they've been in business for years and years and years. And they have a thing called agreed value. And so you don't get into, if you have a problem, you have a wreck or something, you don't get into this hassle, well, I thought it was worth more, or I thought it was this, that, and you just, you have an agreement of agreed value of what your car is worth. So contact J.C. Taylor, and also listen up right after this show for the classic auto mall show and uh they are fantastic guys to work with and as always we got to do our shout out guys to uh mr chris ritter and mr steve moskowitz and stacy at aaca and uh, i want to thank steve and all the folks at aaca for their support of the show and uh we do appreciate it, and in turn, we support AACA. It, if you're not a member of an organization and you love classic cars, that's the organization to belong to. So we'll be right back right after this word. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio, or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall, and we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, it's time to get back to Tom and Richard and the Classic Car Show, only on America's Web Radio. And we are so pleased that uh, you all, the listenership that we have for the show uh, is from coast to coast and literally around the world. We have a fan club in... Australia. We've got people in the UK that are listening to us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And we want to again thank our, the folks that have joined us and become patrons and keeping our great programming on the air. So with that said, Tom and Richard, it's all yours. Okay, Tom, well, tell us what's, what's your pick of the week. Well, I, I'll tell you one thing before I, we go to the pick of the week. You know, I, I want to, we since we were talking about tickets, you know, the one thing you don't want to do, a lot of times they'll give you the option to pay the ticket right away. 
you know, if you're a multi-time offender, you might want to just go ahead and pay the ticket, okay? But if you're in a jurisdiction where you've not gotten a ticket before, don't pay the ticket right away. Um, you might be able to get it reduced to the point where it doesn't get reported to your insurance company, and uh, you, you might even just even get out of it. I, I got one not long ago um, for an expired registration. And uh, I sent a note to the clerk saying, hey, you know, it was an oversight. I got this done. Would you please pass this along? They sent me a note. No worries. Don't bother showing up. They took care of it. I didn't have to pay a nickel, and they, they let me out of the ticket um, because I, I did what I was supposed to do. And I was, uh, as, as Richard said, you know, being honest about it makes a, makes a big difference. And if you're not honest... And, and you're a multiple-time offender, then you know what? Call an attorney. <laughs> so, anyhow. Well, you know, that, um, that, that worked for you because you live in a town of like 13 people, and the judge was probably your, your third cousin or something. So everybody knew you, so that's why you got out of it. Uh, you're going to be... You're gonna be <laughs> <laughs> upset that you that you went in that direction because I I got to digress for just a second. So, you know, you were talking about your first ticket uh, there after you were coming back for the Rangers game, and uh, my first ticket I had a nineteen sixty. I was sixteen. I had a nineteen sixty Pontiac four door flat top, um, and uh, just a great car. And I was driving in a southern part of Virginia. And uh, I was driving through cornfields, and I thought it was pretty remote. I didn't expect anybody to be there. It was a nice straightaway. And uh, we had that well up past 90 miles an hour, which was a lot of fun at age 16. I was having a blast. I uh, had my uh, eight tracks in, blasting away. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> a cop pulls in behind me. And I'm just... I know I'm going to die, you know. I, I know my dad's going to take my car. I know that they're going to take my license. <laughs> I know they might throw me in jail. I mean, it's just all of these things going through my head. You know, my life at 16, I just got my freedom. And you know what? It's all over. And so I'm sitting there. I'd be literally just sick at my stomach. I've got my hands on the wheel, my forehead <laughs> up against the rim of the steering wheel, leaning forward, window open. And the cop's walking up, and I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to who it is. And uh, as the cop got up there, he turned around, I, I heard, Mr. Cox, exactly what are you trying to prove, and what are you doing? Have you lost your mind? <laughs> and I turned around, <laughs> and it was the, the, the son of our pastor from church. <laughs> See, that's, yeah. that's a negative I, of living in a small town. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I, but I, can't I, be positive. I got out of it. That's yeah, right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So uh, the positive benefits of knowing everybody. <laughs> well, so, did you uh, tell the cop the, that, that, that you did you tell the cop that you were driving too fast because of the music? You were probably listening to what was was that the day you were listening to your best of Lawrence Welk? <laughs> the best, yes, my my fa favorite um, driving music. I don't wanna, wanna too. <laughs> yeah, Polk and driving it goes together really well. Thanks, Richard, for reminding yeah. me of that. I have to go get some of my my CDs out. Um, <laughs> so, 
now we're gonna gonna talk about the pick of the week and uh my pick of the week this week i was perusing uh <clears throat> facebook marketplace classifieds and i see an ad for an 87 amc eagle uh station wagon with 139,000 miles on it for an asking price of $3,000. It's been sitting for nine years, but it presented really, really well. Had no serious rust issues at all. Was virtually rust-free with the exception of some surface rust on the bottom of the car. It had been garage kept. Again, it had been sitting for nine years. But I'm t- it, it's since been sold, and I'm told that it sold for uh, something under the $3,000 mark. And uh, those cars have really, in the last three or five years, really gained in popularity. Um, you know, there was a time when you could pick them up left and right, but they've kind of become a cult, uh, cult classic, if you will. Uh, there's a dedicated group of people who uh, really love these Eagles. That's um, interesting, too, because the Eagle was first introduced in 1980, <clears throat> and it was the uh, very first uh, mass-produced uh, all-wheel drive uh, production car and, uh, and one with an uh, independent front suspension as well. Um, yeah, and it's a station wagon, you know, it's very utilitarian. Those are cool cars. They really are. Yeah, it, uh, th- this particular one, it had the, the 258 6 in it, uh, which was derived from the uh, original AMC 6, uh, the uh, Typhoon engine that came out in uh, 1964. And uh, that that engine soldiered on uh, all the way up into I, I believe the early two thousands um, in the uh, Cherokees. It was and, a, and you know the three thousand dollars you said right? Three thousand bucks. Mean, Actually, it, it, it changed hands for a little less than that. Uh, that was the asking price, and they, they got it. I don't know exactly how much, but it was sold for less than that. Actually, yeah. I, I mean, you know. You see all these auctions on TV, and you see prices of cars going for six, seven figures, and you say to yourself, gee, I can't get into the hobby. But that car's a perfect example. Under $3,000, you know, it needs some, you know, some loving care, some tweaks, some, some minor work here and there. But for less than three grand, you're in the old car hobby. Okay, it's not a Dusenberg, you know, it's an AMC station wagon, but the car has a lot of character. They are fun to drive especially in the snow with the all-wheel drive and uh i mean three grand you know uh that's that that's really peanuts today and uh you'll be the hit of the latest you know cars and coffee or cruise night because how many other people going to show up with that same car not many exactly Exactly. People are, it's going to stand out, it's going to be interesting, it's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, I mean, it had been sitting, but, you know, it really, it didn't need a paint job. Uh, it needed some interior cleaning. But, you know, you're looking at doing, you know, doing brakes, going through the fuel system, general tune up, obviously going to need tires. Uh, you know, that's something that people overlook too, not to get on a, stump over something, but uh, people just really, really 
don't pay attention to how old their tires are. Um, always frightens me when I'm riding in uh, somebody's classic car. A, a good friend of mine, I'll tell this story, I'll just use the name. So, you know, you know West Peterson, who's the uh, editor of AACA's Antique Automobile Magazine. And uh, West and I were uh, spiriting along in his <clears throat> 40 Packard limo just outside of Chicago. Blinding rainstorm with a light bit of hail, and uh, we're running. I mean, he drives like a madman anyway. We're driving 65, 70 miles an hour in that thing out there on the interstate. And for some reason, I just turned around to him and I said, how old are the tires on these, this thing? He's like, you don't want to know. <laughs> They're almost as old as I am. <laughs> I just like, you've got to be kidding me. But, but no, anyway, I, be more I, than five, five years old. They, that, that's the maximum limit is what manufacturers tell you. Yeah, particularly uh, with the steel-belted cars, uh, steel-belted tires, the uh, sidewalls um, don't, you know, they just start to get weak and dry rot. Um, you know, the older polyester cord tires tended to, you know, hold up a little longer, but still, yeah, replace those tires. But anyhow, um, you know, the AMC uh, has a good following. Parts are readily available. I know sometimes people are scared off when they're looking at an orphan make and they're thinking, you know, gosh, I'll never be able to get parts for this thing. But uh, there are bunches of clubs out there. You know, the American Motors Owners Association and many others um, that you can get involved with. And you'll find you'll be able to find parts. Um, and, in fact, you can still buy some some of the Eagle stuff. You still buy um, over-the-counter, particularly engine parts, of course, because that engine, the, the main engine in there was used in the Jeeps. They also used the, uh, they came out with the smaller one, the FX4, which was really based on the Spirit. Um, they came out with that in 1981. It ran from 81 to 83. And it came with the 258 in it, but it also came with the uh 151 cubic inch uh, four-cylinder GM Iron Duke engine, but then it also came, uh, or the uh, Eagles themselves, and starting in 84, came with a 150 cubic inch AMC four-cylinder engine, um, but which you, we're talking you know, about the Beijing Olympics. Yeah, you know, no, you mentioned about parts, and people sometimes don't want to buy certain cars because of uh, they think that they can't find parts. Well, the best way to avert that problem is to join a car club. Car yes. clubs have many advantages, Absolutely. right? Yeah, oh, you network with fellow owners of the same car. They have, once you join the club, you gain access to their website. You go on the forums. Before you know it, you could find basically any replacement part you need by joining a car club. And I might no, add, they're fun, to, I know they're fun to be a part of. With that being said, we're going to let people think about the car clubs that they want to join, and we're going to take a break. But before we do, we want to talk about J.C. Taylor Insurance and the agreed value that they give their customers and you negotiate the price before you ever do anything else and 
it's a fantastic program, and I know some of the people, not all of them, but, you know, people are the are the key ingredient to a successful business. And J.C. Taylor has some of the nicest folks you could ever hope to deal with. So if you're in the market for insurance, call J.C. Taylor and they'll fix you up. We'll be right back with more Tom and Richard right after these messages. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. Do you love classic and special interest cars? If so, listen to our podcast every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here on America's Web Radio. Or find us on your favorite podcast site, iTunes, Spotify, or any of the others out there. We'll talk about classic cars. We'll talk to car guys. We'll talk to clubs that are here at our facility here in Classic Auto Mall. And we'll also talk about Classic Auto Mall and how we can help you sell your classic or special interest car. So give us a listen every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Thanks. And we thank you for listening to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lenantello. And we uh, we really appreciate them. They are fantastic. And uh, Jim Weber, I was talking to Jim Weber the other day, Richard, and he said you are one of his favorite writers that he's been keeping up with you for years. And uh, that... Uh, you know, you just have quite a way with the pen. So if uh, we rewrite the Constitution or anything, we'll uh, give you a call. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because uh, I wish Sister Teresa was around because in English class, she beat my head silly with the odds. <laughs> Antonello, don't you know how to write? Don't you know a verb from a noun? So, uh, yeah, I wish she was still around, Sister Teresa. That- that would have been a good endorsement. Well, she may be, and just... Uh, All I can say is that the thought of you pinning our Constitution be pretty frightening. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> but yeah. Speaking of Richard's writing, and I'm going to jump in here, um, and just, I know he's a bit shy. You know, anybody that knows Richard knows how shy he is. <laughs> but uh, the uh, magazine that is out now, the third issue of uh, Crankshaft Magazine. Uh, it features everything from a 39-gram shark nose to a uh, 1913 Peugeot and a lot of different things in between. It's one of the finest magazines that has been printed in years. Um, Richards has done a tremendous job of, of assembling great writers, does a great job of writing and photography himself, and uh, you owe it to yourself to check out Crankshaft. Um, it, to me, it's a soft cover version of Automobile Quarterly, and if you've been around for a while, and Automobile Quarterly, uh, those of us are hardcore, we've got every copy that was ever printed of Automobile Quarterly, and I will always have every copy of Crankshaft. And um, Richard, and how do you get it? Crankshaft. Where, Richard? Where can they get it? Uh, uh, right now, it's being sold in Barnes & Noble and Books A Million bookstores throughout the country. But you can also go directly to our website at crankshaftmagazine.com. Well, 
it's it's exceptional, and I'm not just saying that. I I I would just as soon not say anything at all as to promote something that's not exceptional. It's awesome. You guys do a great job. Everybody, uh, Jim Donnelly, all the other writers, and just Pat Foster, all a great job. So it's good stuff. Thank you. So, Thank but you. anyway, a lot of fun to do. We were talking. So just on the tail end, I'm always sort of bringing up the rear on this stuff, but on the tail end of the AMC Eagle saga, you know, if anybody finds an Eagle with a turbo diesel in it, hang on to it, because they only built seven. They built seven of those. It had a straight six Italian-built, you'll enjoy that, Italian-built uh, turbo diesel, and so they're they're rare as hen's teeth. And yes, there are a couple of survivors out there known. There may be more because all seven are not accounted for. So anyhow, wow. um, you're cool. talking, yeah, yes, it's ultra rare, cool stuff. Um, so we were talking about car clubs, and you know, you were rightfully pointing out the fact that you know it really introduces you to a network of of parts and knowledge and, and resources and cars that you would not otherwise find yourself with. You know, I mean, it's easy, easy enough to communicate on the Internet, communicate via Facebook, all of those things. And I know, you know, some people think, ah, I don't want to join a club. I can tell you it's the personal relationships that really cement your involvement in the hobby and it increases your enjoyment and love of the hobby far beyond what you would ever imagine because you get to know all these people who have the same affliction that you do and they're ingrained in in the automotive world they know where to get the parts you know they're gosh coming along um you know the first car i ended up with was a hudson I joined AACA, the Antique Automobile Club of America, when I was 13 years old. And the first car I actually bought and worked on was the 1957 Chrysler. I think we mentioned that in the very first episode. And, uh, you know, it was through assistance that I gained from older guys that had been working on these cars and took their time to teach me, tell me what to do, let me bug the bejesus out of them so that I could learn how to work on the cars, where to get the parts, all of those things. Um, And then when I ended up with another Hudson later on, I joined the Hudson Essex Terraplane Club, and I guess I was probably 14 15, something like that. I went to my very first Hudson Essex Airplane Club uh, show in Front Royal, Virginia, which was a long way away from home, five hours. I'd never driven that far. My parents let me, so I drove by myself and, uh, you know, got to know a lot of guys there. And then when I started talking to them about parts, it was a fellow Jack Heisler out of Pittsburgh. I'll never forget. I needed a gasket over engine overhaul gasket set for a 51 uh, commodore 8 he had one he refused to let me pay for it he gave it to me he told me if i didn't take it he was going to throw it away but he, my money was well, no good you know those are the type of people you meet yeah and that's how you find parts 
you know, from your fellow club members who has, you know, stuff stashed away for years that they're not going to advertise. And they have cars. You know, you join a car club and you get the word out that you're looking for a particular model car. Before you know it, someone in the club either has that car, you know, or they know someone who does or someone who's going to sell it. And, you know, like we mentioned uh, last week, is not everybody puts cars up for sale or wants to spend the money to advertise a car. But if you're a fellow club member, uh, you know, uh, you you get first dibs on cars that otherwise uh, would never even be on the marketplace. So, uh, and again, they have these forums, you know, they have monthly newsletters that you could put, you know, want ads in and you can see uh, on the forums, you know, uh, put out there that you're looking for, you know, a radiator cap for, you know, a 56 Pontiac or something like that. And before you know it, not only are you getting those parts, but many people have new old stock and you're getting, you know, great stuff. And especially now that, you know, a lot of the first wave of collectors are dying off and their family wants to get rid of the stuff that they've been hoarding for decades. Uh, there's a lot of good deals out there, but you're never going to know about them unless you join a car club. No, it, it, it's irreplaceable. And I'll have to say, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I was a kid um, in the Hudson Club, you know, and I would go to the swap meets because it was all Hudson parts. And just like if you go to American Motors Owners Association or Buick Club of America or, you know, any specific mark club, they're going to have everything dedicated to that mark there. And I remember all these Hudson guys, they bought out all these inventories of these Hudson dealerships when they closed up. They had parts, you know, and that was a really good supply source for you. And I remembered that. And so when AMC closed out, I started buying up AMC parts from dealers, and uh, so I bought a bunch of obsolete AMC uh, dealer inventory, and I use that to trade, and I, I sell it for cheap to friends and stuff like that, and then, of course, I keep a lot of it for myself, too, for the future, but um, without the club interaction, um, I would never have had as much fun as I've had, and most clubs, you know, there are a lot of national clubs out there, Mark Clubs, uh, or National Clubs, AACA, everybody who knows me knows that I'm dyed in the wool AACA, I've served on their National Board of Directors for uh, 15 years now, and uh, heavily involved in their judging system as well. And that's um, how you met me. Just, just a lot of fun. I know, dang on. With a car club. That is right? true. God. The one year I shouldn't have paid my dues, you know. <laughs> That's right. You should have stayed home. You never would have met me. Should have stayed home. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, should have should have stayed home is right, you know. And then I wouldn't have to talk to you every Saturday morning. <laughs> the, uh, but but you do meet a lot person. of great people. <laughs> yeah, you know, you do meet a lot of people in car clubs. Lifelong friends you could develop because they have the same interests as you. So uh, join that club. Don't be cheap. Buy, you know, buy a membership, and even if you know someone, buy a membership for a friend. So uh, it's a win-win for everyone. No, I, I've done that many, many, many times. Um, you know, in fact, uh, you know, there are people that sometimes you don't even realize, and you're working with them. You don't have any idea. There's a friend of mine here locally, Steve Davis. I had known him for years and years and years and years. 
I don't know, for whatever reason, we never talked about cars. And then I was over at his house one day, and he had all of these magnificent scale models of classic cars. And I'm like, well, heck, I never knew you were heavy into uh, cars. He goes, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to have a Mercury. I'd love to have a 49, 50, 51 Mercury at some point. And uh, anyhow, I signed him up for the... AACA, I signed him up for the local AACA region, and uh, he and I have had a blast. We've continued to uh, work on projects. We've done a lot of charity work here in the uh, in Roanoke Valley here, and uh, it's been great. And uh, he's, he's one of my good friends. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a great opportunity. Um, and I'll mention, go f- f- further and mention that, you know, the Antique Automobile Club of America is the world's oldest and largest organization of its kind. And it is yeah, like a big umbrella. Yes, yes. And, and it's the big tent. Um, you know, we take anything from boardwards to Fords to Chevys, you name it. Um, everything as long as it's from 25 late. years old. Exactly. As long as it's 25 years old. Uh, you know, going all the way back to the uh, late 1800s, all the way to, gosh, it's hard to believe, this year, 1997. Got to wrap it um, up, folks. Well, we've got a few things uh, on on the burner for next week, we're going to be uh, looking at uh, bringing in a few uh, guests in future episodes. And uh, Richard, have any closing thoughts? Yeah, just uh, if you're working on a car, get in the garage. Even if you only work on it one hour a day, it adds up. So, you know, close the boob tube and get under your car and have fun. It's not going to get done on the couch. You're right about that. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. And America, yeah, America's Web Radio thanks Tom and Richard for another great show, and look forward to next week. And uh, we might get a topic that we publish prior to the show next week. So stay tuned to America's Web Radio. We've got more coming up about cars right after this. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.